Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 147. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 147 you're listening to. My guest today is Mr. Brett Bullion, who I met at Mix with the Masters with Chad Blake. Brett, of course, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. You might have heard his voice on the episode where I featured all the Mix with the Masters attendees. He was on for a short period of time, given his thoughts on the Mix with the Masters seminar that we were at. So I thought, you know, I got to have Brett back on for a full episode, so he will join me here shortly. Uh, Brett, of course, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, has a studio there, does a lot of good work. The stuff I heard that he brought to Mix with the Masters was outstanding and was very impressed with what I had heard. Plus, he's just a nice guy, and I like hanging out with him and, and drinking beers and talking shop. So, you know, it's just natural. Got to have him on. So, yeah, Brett Bullion coming up. Wow, a few things to say. I'm not going to go into it with great detail because I know it's being talked about on every news channel constantly, but the Las Vegas thing, the shooting in Las Vegas, that's very tragic. Music is a healing thing, not to sound hippy-dippy on you, but it is. It really is. It's pretty magical. And to be at a place like that, enjoying yourself and enjoying music with a a big group of people, to be uh, affected in that way by some complete motherfucker uh, ruining it and and destroying lives is just like you know I don't know what to say. It's awful. So um, those are my my brief thoughts on that. I, I couldn't do a show without you know mentioning it. So um, that's that. Um, Tom Petty. <sighs> yeah, having just saw Tom Petty and standing over Robert Scoville as he mixed the show, uh, I you know it we kind of say it callously, oh, what a once-in-a-lifetime event. Well, I didn't realize what a once-in-a-lifetime event that really was. And it really struck me hard afterwards. Uh, you know, I, I've been a, a Tom Petty fan like many people, right? We're all kind of like, oh, Tom Petty, you know, it's not somebody that we would expect to uh, to go like that. And especially at the age of 66. But uh yeah. You know, stuff like that, just it really opened your eyes and your brain to realize that time is precious, my friends. I've talked about it time and time again. I've talked about it on other people's podcasts, and I, I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. But, you know, let's face it. You got to get the things done you want to get done. You want to enjoy your life, and you want to you want to uh, experience life because one day you're here and the next day you're not, right? So I feel very fortunate that I was given that opportunity by Robert Scoville to to do that, to sit over his shoulder and watch that show, watch him mix that show, watch Tom Petty, watch Robert do his thing. You know, you just got to get out and do stuff because you just never know when things are going to change up in a, in a positive or negative fashion. So anyways, that's bummed me out to no end. And I never knew Tom Petty personally. So I can only imagine what the people close to him feel. Yeah. Sorry, don't mean to bum you all out, but I got to mention this stuff. It's it's current events. It's what's going on. Let's let's move on in the conversation. Uh, and, you know, on that topic, uh, at some point I'll stop talking about Mix with the Masters and Chad Blake here. But after doing that, uh, you know, anytime you do an experience where – you're making an investment in your career or your talent or, or you're just getting out of your comfort zones and going to do something different and you're getting out of your, your typical day-to-day life. It really affects you in multiple ways. And I have to say uh, with the Vegas thing and, and, and Tom Hetty and the political news out in the world and everything just piling up when I got some distance from it in France that was good. And when I got back and spent some time with my wife and my kids, uh, I did something that really has in the last couple of days has just kind of helped my day to day. And I'll tell you, 
it's taking Facebook out of the, you know, out of rotation on my phone. It's on my phone. I can get to it if I, if I want to get to it, but I actually just kind of moved it off of the, the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. It's the, the most used applications, you know, right up on the front screen, the ones you get to the quickest. I just took it out of rotation. I quit going to it. I think I spend too much time on it and getting obsessed in, in other people's things. And I'd rather have experiences and spend time with my family and have those experiences and spend time with friends and, and the people in front of you. And I, I, I just, I wrote something down the other day in regards to it. When it comes to social media, you know, I think, and, and I wrote, these are my notes, deal with those in your town, close to you, in your community. Uh, Facebook makes it so easy to dismiss those in your community by trying to live vicariously through others who don't even live near you. Um, so I'm just kind of taking a step back from it. I'll obviously, I'm going to continue to post the shows on there. And so if you're, if you're pulling back from Facebook, you're not going to see that the shows are out there. So sign up on the email list and I'll send you an email to let you know that there's a new show out. Uh, but you know, I put it out every Monday. So anyways, my point is what's this rant I'm going on? Try pulling back from social media, see how it, if it works for you, see if it changes your, your outlook on things. And now I have a new obsession. Uh, and that is, is I'm on eBay looking at camera lenses. I have a Nikon DSLR. And so what I've realized is that there's other lenses out there like microphones that I can attach to this DSLR and try different things. Lenses that, you know, are made you know, in the seventies and the eighties that I can try out and, uh, they're not that expensive. So rather than spending all my time scrolling through Facebook posts and seeing, you know, people's food and political views and, uh, all that I'm going on eBay and I'm looking at camera lenses that I can, you know, uh, buy and then take pictures of those around me and things around me. And I don't know, I know I'm going on a rant here, but so I'm just trying to concentrate on those things in my life that are important to me. And uh, I would encourage you to do the same. So try it out. You might find it, it works well and you might breathe a sigh of relief after a while. It's kind of nice to get, you know, social media out of your life. So, so I'm not going to even tell you to go and like us on social media or tell your friends or anything like that. Continue to listen to the podcast if you want, of course, you know, we want you to do that. But uh, yeah, if you pull the social media element out, it's really it's enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I do want to make sure and give a shout out, of course, to our friends over at gearsluts.com and, and the audio life uh, sub forum we sponsor over there. Also, youaudio.com, you will find that, man, they are just pulling out all the stops here. They are uh, doing another promotion. If you buy and register any new Apollo rack mount interface, which of course means an Apollo 8, 8P, 16, or Apollo Firewire, through December 31st, 2017, you will get a UAD2 satellite octo or quad free. Yeah. They did that a while back. I remember I, I got an Apollo and then like, boom, I got a, um, a quad satellite box as a bonus. <laughs> it was a, I didn't expect that because I wasn't paying attention to promotions at that time. And then I registered and then boom, uh, here's a quad one day that showed up at the door. And I was like, oh, what, what's this? Oh, look at this. Hmm. So check that out. That's at youaudio.com. You'll see it immediately when you go to the page. Yeah. I'm going to click on it now. You audio. You click on it and uh, scroll down and you'll, you'll see it right there. Get a free satellite octo or quad. Good deal. I also mentioned too that um, uh, Jakir and Vance are up there too with a couple of videos. I encourage you to check out two former WC alum and friends of the podcast. Yep, good guys. Anyhow, that's it. Let's uh, let's get on on the horn here, as they say, as the old folks say, with Brett Bullion here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's it's so weird, just like you said uh, earlier, as we signed on to see you in this capacity. I'm used to seeing you in person. Yeah, right. I know. But here we are. I'm in California. You're in Minnesota. How's the weather there today? It's all right. It's uh, well, uh, it's it's um, I was telling my girlfriend this yesterday. I was like, it's a perfect. Uh, yesterday it was like just raining all day. And I was telling her it's a perfect post Blade Runner day. Oh, did you I, see Blade Runner? I, I saw it on Thursday night, nine thirty showing, 
Don't tell me anything. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't dare do that to any of your listeners or anything. But it's um, everyone just have to figure it out for themselves. That's that's my response when people ask me, "Did you okay. like it?" And I just say, "You just gotta, yeah, figure it out for yourself, man." It's uh, the original is my favorite movie of all time. There was a period where I was working for. Um, I think I told you this, but there's a period where I was working for that. Um, software company called audiophile engineering they were based out of minneapolis and so i lived in seattle and when i was working for them i was doing beta testing remotely and i just had blade running around in the background all day man i'd just roll it on repeat three or four times i'd just be hearing (laughs) blade runner all day so that's interesting it's a near and dear film to me on many levels i know it's not it's it's kind of a not the most uplifting film on, on the world, but I would have to say that one of my favorite films has got to be Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah, man. Yep. There's just there's Incredible. so much to that. I mean, sonically, visually, story-wise, metaphors, all kinds of stuff going on there that I just love. Yeah, I mean, it's I haven't seen that in a while. Actually, I'd like to uh, I'd like to revisit that. Marlon Brando isn't that kind of his like you know the highest paid actor for the lowest amount of lines. I think that he holds the record for that, for that film. That would make sense. It's something like 15 lines that he had and he got paid like an, you know, absurd amount of money for it at that point, of course, (laughs) in his career. For the listener, in case you haven't figured it out by reading the notes that I've put on the website by now, uh, Brett and I spent uh, a week with each other in France at Studio La Fabrique doing the Mix with the Masters thing with Chad Blake. So we ate many meals together, had some uh, had some hangout time together. And so I thought, uh, you know, Brett was, of course, on my kind of roundtable Mix with the Masters episode, but I wanted to have him on as a uh, as a full guest. So that this is what we're doing now. So here's what I didn't fully get out of you when I was hanging out with you is, and I'd like you to give me kind of a bird's eye view of, of your world now, what you're doing now. Cause we talked about a lot of things. We talked about um, sound design and, and, and stuff like that. But we also talked about uh, mixing and which by the way, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stuff you played, I was, I was very blown away by, I was like, wow. He's really good. Oh, cool! So, Thanks, man. So I'm curious. Tell me about your studio world, and then we'll, we can venture off into you know sound design and stuff like that. Well, sound design's kind of just a that's just what I do for fun right now. I'm not a working sound designer at the moment, but yeah, my studio um, it's it's a uh, it's it's a two room studio. It's in an old industrial building in northeast Minneapolis, and uh, it started out. You know, I got started just kind of in the Daniel and Wah tradition of trying to record everything in one massive room, you know, kind of like an installation studio. That's always been the way I've done it. You know, I grew up working in houses that I lived in and stuff like that. I had to build rooms because the building was just getting too noisy with some of the the neighbors and stuff like that. So I had uh, Jeff Hedbeck, who's an excellent acoustician. To anyone out there listening, budgets small or large, he's uh, he's really great. And I was really impressed with not only him personally, but the results that we got. So there's a there's a live room and uh, it's a kind of a medium-ish live room. It's a, I don't know, maybe I, the dimensions are at a loud and A off of a 10-foot ceiling if anyone wants to get really nerdy about it. Yeah, it's like a medium room and it's it's really balanced and I can easily record people, a group of people in a circle together, you know. And then there's a small control room that's a that's a different ratio, but but still uh sounds pretty good. I'm used to it. Jeff and I have to work on the control room a little bit, but I know what it sounds like. <laughs> Tell me about that part of town. Is it industrial? Uh yeah, it is. It's um it used to be lots of manufacturing, you know, in the the mill days of Minneapolis. I'm not sure what they used to build there. I mean, if you kind of look at the way the trusses work, you can tell that they used to do large-scale assembly, you know, almost like you could as- assemble like a hull of a boat and kind of like, uh, okay. you know what I mean, wheel it out the loading dock. Again, very Blade Runner, the building. So it's so so like like wheels could attach yeah, exactly. or, or, or pulleys yep. could attach to the trusses up there. Right, right. But you can tell they've, of course, you know, split it into tenant spaces now but so you kind of through all the that was actually part of the transmission issues i was having i needed to build separate rooms to get away from it's because 
through all these rooms, there's these massive metal structures that are coupled to the entire building. So if if somebody's got like an AC that's uh, air conditioner that's, you know, coupled three rooms over and it's vibrating, it just comes right through the wall mm-hmm. and anything touching it will just, you know, resonate. So I had a lot of things like that. I was kind of pulling my hair out for a while because it'd be really quiet in the summer or whatever or in the fall and then like the winter comes and then all the heaters turn on and you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Why is there 40 hertz in this corner, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever it would be, you know? So it was kind of, uh, I'm glad those days are over. I'm glad I've got it sorted. So do you, <laughs> you rent that space, right? I do rent it. Yeah. <clears throat> I do rent it. And I'm sure that's a working class audio discussion, right? It's kind of to rent or buy or to rent you know, or buy, right? Stuff. Yeah, it's a total WCA thing. So, do you sh- do you share it with other people? Uh, my studio, no, no, but it, it um, I do. So it's a the space that I rent is a massive. It was a massive, wide open space, and my mastering engineer that I told you about, uh, Huntley Miller, he built his studio in the same suite. So we we have the same suite, but it's maybe I mean it's probably eighty feet wide, maybe more. You know, I mean, it's a massive, you know, suite that we rented and then we have built our separate rooms that are isolated uh, inside of it. So, Mm. you know. Why did you choose that building in terms of the availability of buildings within Minneapolis? That's a good question, actually. Something to think about. I just made mistakes in the past of where my studio was in terms of being around neighbors or things like that. So... First thing is that I, the ceiling height was, you know, like 20 feet or whatever, 22 feet. And I was like, well, that's really cool. Cause back when I was thinking I could just record in the space as it was, I was like, this will be a super live room. And because it's such a large cubic volume, I figured that the, the modal issues would be so low that I could kind of deal with it just by ear rather than having to do a lot of construction, which is ironic because ended up doing a lot of construction. <laughs> but, yeah. um, uh, so that was the first thing was just the sheer cubic volume of that room. What, you know, looked good for, for audio, uh, or for a good, good raw space. There's no basement under it. It's at a part of the building where it's like a 12 foot slab, concrete slab, and then earth. So that to me was good. Cause it's essentially means nobody underneath you is going to be making noise. There's also it's part of the building where there isn't a second floor on top of it. You're isolated, you know, from, from neighbors on your ceiling and your floor. And then the uh, south side of the room is where the bathrooms are. And then there's a freight elevator. So you don't have a, a neighboring tenant on the south side either. And then to the right side, there's basically this cool shop owner guy that's there like I see him once every four months so it was very kind of like oh great cool you know this is really pretty isolated and and uh seemed cool and then of course a cocktail room went in next door (laughs) (laughs) and they brought their subwoofers with them so that was you know life 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 gives you lemons yeah do you foresee a time where you would buy a building in the future? It really depends on what I end up doing. Um, you know, you'd, speaking of Chad Blake and, and being there and hanging out with him, I mean, ideally, it, it, ideally I could do like what he does where he has an, a space at his house and he has enough work that's solely mixing where he can, can work at home. I would, I would love to be able to do that. I'm not sure if that'll happen in, in the next two years because at least half of my my income every year is uh, from actually recording. Uh, and then it's about half and half. Half of it's from producing and then half of it's from uh, from just where people are hiring me as a mix engineer. Tell me about your background. Did you go to school? Did you go to college in any capacity? Did you? I did. Uh, I went to college. I studied uh, theology. <laughs> really? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went to uh, St. Olaf College. This is in uh, south, south of Minnesota. And... Um, yeah, I, I studied uh, the- philosophical theology, and um, like I, I, I was I think I was three credits short of like a philosophy minor as well. So that you know, that's where all the anxiety comes from, probably, <laughs> <laughs> or genetics. Yeah, or yeah, from yeah. my parents. It's probably yeah. that. <laughs> well, so where did the where did the recording world intercept the theology world? So I started as a as a drummer. I was a musician. I've 
I've been playing professionally since I was like 16, roughly. Mm-hmm. And I met, I was lucky enough to meet a lot of people in Minneapolis at a young age and start playing all, all kinds of bands, you know, and mostly all creative bands too. I didn't really kind of start doing any like gigging work, you know, until I was older. I mean, yeah, in high school, I was sleeping through German class and then, you know, off to First Avenue. <laughs> at 4 p.m., that sort of thing. So I was really lucky to have the, that as kind of a backdrop. And and my so when I anyways long winded answer. When I was a kid, my dad got me one of those um those Roland multi tracks, those digital multi tracks with the faders, you know. And uh, it just blew my mind. You know, I was maybe ninth grade, eighth grade. I was pretty young, and I just started recording. You know, and I used to do all kinds of stuff. Looking back on it now, it's pretty bizarre. Like I would. I didn't know who Chad Blake was, of course, back then or anything. And I had like Dynacomps, you know, like all my guitar player friends would leave all these guitar pedals around, you know, and I would send things out the oxes and back in and put drums through the Dynacomp and all this stuff. I didn't, you know, no idea what I was doing, that sort of thing. All sort of weird impedance issues probably. But um, yeah, so I think that's how I got into it as a kid. And then I just kept always doing that. uh, Not very well for all my bands and, and for myself uh, into my 20s. And then it was around, maybe I was around 25 when I said, what do I need to do to make something sound like a record? You know, and of course, back then you are naive and you think that it is an equipment thing or solely an equipment thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just been, you know, I'm 33 now and it's taken me at least that long to figure out how to do it. But I think things are starting to sound like records now. So <laughs> pretty excited about that. Yeah. Who influenced you at that time in those early mm. days when you're trying to figure shit out? When you when you said, okay, I'm going to buy some gear, like, right. was there a mentor? Was there somebody to say, hey, here's what you're going to need? One thing I've always struggled with was feeling like I actually didn't have a proper teacher, you know, somebody who, who um, I really could kind of, you know, ask, like, well, why do you know, why do you set the compressor that way? Or why, you know, how do I get the drums to do this without ruining them or something you know that i didn't really have anybody for a long time that was like that and then uh, my friend uh, i think my friend hunt my mastering engineer uh, huntley miller he really was a, a, a important really integral mentor to me in the beginning of his career he learned from dave collins who's another you know really terrific mastering engineer yeah and he, I've, in and fact he, i think and, I, I've, I've met dave collins in oh, passing at uh, dave's great at um AES or NAM or something. So, so Dave, Dave's a, you know, really great mastering engineer and really helped Huntley back, you know, back when he was getting started to kind of figure out himself and learn, you know, how his own path towards that through kind of proximity. I just, I owe both of them a great debt, you know, because I, I learned from both of them, you know, not directly from Dave, but through you know through Huntley indirectly all right um, well let, let me ask you this and if I'm gonna interrupt and just say sure yeah or ask so indirectly through Dave Collins and directly through Huntley Miller so why didn't you become a mastering engineer <laughs> sounds boring to me <laughs> and those guys save my ass every day you know don't don't get me wrong but it just uh yeah I mean I you know I was so much of a musician and I was so much of like a um you know, I think now it's less boring to me now that like just pure audio is like satisfying to me. I could understand pulling up a two track and trying to bring it to its potential, you know, without stepping on its toes. I think, I mean, it's, that's a true art form, man. I mean, that's, that's some high level, you know, to everybody out there. It's like, you find your mastering engineer, don't let them go. <laughs> Cause Blake talked a little bit about that as well, you know, with Ludwig and how important that was for him and yeah. his trying to figure out how to mix, you know, how to really mix, you know. But um, it's just more fun to record, man. And I didn't want to compete with Hunt, to be bluntly honest. You know, I mean, there's no way that there's no way I could be better than him at what he does. Right. Uh, and I think he'd make a, a horrible producer, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> if he's listening, he knows I'm just just playing with him. He's quite quite talented arranger. But it was it was a good it was just a good partnership because it was the sort of thing where I was really in direct contact with lots of musicians and I wanted to make records for people and I wanted to do it differently than people were doing it around our town uh, and beyond now and now and again 
and he, and I wanted to send him my mixes. I wanted him to work on my mixes. So it was a really good partnership. You know, just right place, right time, with the right people. You know. Well, so let's talk about the the business aspect of it. Are you making a living doing recording in Minneapolis? I am. Yeah, I I am. I have been for about six years now. And, and and how? Uh, tell me about that six years and what and the, and yeah. the growth and what you've learned about the business in that time in terms of you know keeping them keeping an income coming in and doing yeah. what you love to do. Well, I mean, I think about this probably more than I should. First, I just try to do you know I just want to make stuff sound better than everything else, and do whatever I have to do to make that happen, uh, or as good as what you know. I I still listen to my favorite producers and mixers of all time before I'm going to work on something. I mean, I'm still trying to keep the bar as high as I can for myself. You know, I honestly, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I've, I've just been really lucky. People like what I do and they keep calling me and I don't take it for granted. Try to do a really good job every time, no matter what it is, you know, and philosophically, that's all I can tell you really, you know, has it been difficult for you to be artistic and and yet address the business and the money issues at mm. the same time? Yeah. So pragmatically, I was due all the money up front, not, not get paid all the money up front, but I get I, all the business stuff is spelled out as clear as I can make it up yeah. front. Uh, and then after that, you don't have to deal with it anymore. Maybe now and then if you do have to go over budget, you, you, you've set it up so that you can have a clear conversation about it. And I, I, I just, I don't ever talk about money in the studio. That's kind of a thing that I've just me personally come up with. I, I always do it through email, mm-hmm. rarely on the phone. You know, I, I, I do it through email because then I can kind of be a different personality, so to speak. I can be the manager and I can go, this is what this costs. This is what this takes. This is, these are the terms. So then when we get into the studio, everyone feels more comfortable because they already know what's happening you know the boundaries have been defined uh and then you're able to just be creative i think that's really important thinking in a pure business sense right now Mm. by doing what you're doing you're i mean email sometimes can tend to be people can read emails and they can put their own spin on the voice that they read it in so when you keep the business aspect of it limited to the email and the artistic elements confined to the studio that seems to be a good combination because not only do you separate those two worlds, mm-hmm. but you also create a paper trail of That's the, exactly right. of the conversation yeah. where they can say, well, I didn't understand what you were saying. Well, actually, you replied in this email that this mm-hmm. was clear to you. So where's the confusion? That's exactly right. Yeah. And I've had I've had to do that a couple of times. Not Not too much. Everybody's pretty cool. But yeah. there's been a few times where I've had to go. No, these are the deliverables, you know, it's right here. This is, I can do X, Y, and Z, but it's going to, I'm going to have to invoice. So, right. Right. And that, and I like that because then once you arrive at the studio, it's like, okay, let's do it. Let's just, let's just hang out. Let's just be our two personalities and, and, and try to try to get something cool done. So mm-hmm. I just kind of stumbled on that as like a thing for me that that worked. Other people might feel the opposite. You know, they might think that it's important to talk in person about money or something. And, and you know, sometimes it is. Uh, there are certain artists where I can I sort of get the sensation that it's important for them to to hear my voice on it, you know, rather than an email. Because when I do the business in email, I do tend to be like very declarative, very as clear as possible, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where in the long term, I think it's more respectful to the artist to be, and to yourself, both are really important. Because if you don't feel like the artist is taking care of you Mm -hmm. and kind of respecting your talent and your time, you're never going to do good work for them. And if you can't do good work for them, then what's the point? You know, what, you know, you might as well just not be doing the gig. You might as well just be working a job where you can just punch in and out, you know. Brett Bullion here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, it's time for a sponsor break with Audio-Technica, so let's go over there to uh, audio-technica.com. And if you go over and check out the accessories that they sell, if you're a studio owner and you do use Audio-Technica headphones, you know, clients are notoriously kind of cavalier 
with how they treat your headphones. They, you know, they're dropping them and tossing them aside. And, and I remember owning a studio and seeing clients kind of be abusive with stuff. And I'm, it would just always blow my mind. It's like, hey, you know, I just paid so much money for those. But here's the good news. You can get replacement cables and you can get replacement ear pads for all the M-series headphones that Audio-Technica makes. And uh, you can buy them right off the Audio-Technica website. You don't have to do too much hunting, so you can just go right to audio-technica.com and pick up uh, either some straight cables or some coily cables. Uh, you can get replacements for in-ear monitor headphones. Uh, they have a cool headphone hanger here. There's, there's all kinds of headphone-type accessories. So, uh, you know, when you buy a pair of headphones... The thing that used to piss me off so much with older headphones is the attached cables. And then once those headphones go, you're like, or the cable goes south, you're like, oh, but the headphones work. Why do I have to get rid of these? So uh, this solves that problem. Just uh, buy a replacement cable, buy some replacement ear pads, and uh, you're good to go. So check it out at audio-technica.com. Well, let's get back into it with our good friend here, Brett Bullion, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We talked at Studio La Fabrique shortly, and you gave me your input about the whole experience with Chad up to that point. Mm -hmm. So now that you've been home, we've we've all been home now for a while. We've hopefully got rid of our jet lag. It took me a few days. I don't <laughs> know about yeah, you. Yeah, man. It yeah. It, I think it took me about a week actually. Maybe a, maybe a few days short, shy of a week. <sighs> That's a. It's rough. It was. But, uh, yeah. I'm curious now, in retrospect, you go through an experience like that, you're going to forget some stuff and only mm -hmm. the real, I don't know, key things or important things are going to rise to the surface. Right. Is there any, you have any comments on, on that experience with Chad in terms of how you're uh, digesting it now and how you're applying it to what you're doing now? Well, man, to be honest, I had a really tough, I had a really hard couple of days back mixing because I think I went through some bizarre sort of identity crisis almost because it was like, yeah. I'd be sitting in the studio and I'd kind of reach for like a Sans amp or something. And I'd be like, uh, maybe I should do something else, <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. or, you know, maybe what do I want to do? You know, it was like that, that sort of thing. So there's a little bit of that going on. And then there was just a little bit too of like, I had learned so much just sort of objective stuff from him, you know, just classic good technique things that just that not even necessarily that he would talk about it would just sort of come out of him and if mm. you were observant enough you would be like oh god like he's there's a reason why he's balancing this that way or there's a reason why he's there's a reason why this mic is this or whatever and so just trying to apply all that in like the last week i just almost lost my mind man i, <laughs> I mean i was like okay i need to like stop trying to apply everything so fast you know and i think i realized that I had been a little bit on autopilot with mixing for the past handful of months. You know, mm -hmm. I had I had I had such a workload that I was just kind of I don't want to say going through the motions because I was uh, I was still you know doing my work. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> I had a few days there where it was like, okay, I need to just like stop thinking about this and just do what I think is cool. You know, and and after I did that, then then things got a lot a lot easier. But um, I think that's the biggest. Does that answer the question? I think it totally the answers the question, especially yeah. the identity crisis aspect of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can go and spend time with somebody as influential as Chad Blake for a week, and I could see how it's easy to come back and immediately start like, oh, well, I I'll start mixing, I'll start channeling Chad. Right, right, and you can't. Cause you're just, you're not him, you know? You're not him. And, and I think ultimately that's what made me just get back into my zone. Cause I was kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter if I do pull up a Sans amp cause it's, it won't ever sound like him. You know, I mean, it was so funny to even watch him use one. Cause it was like, he would go for settings that were the opposite of the settings that I like about it, you know? And I, so I don't know. I just, I had to kind of remind myself that like, I hear things out of the speakers in a particular shape and it's a pretty different shape than him actually, even though he's one of my, uh, biggest inspirations, you know? So, um, I don't know. Once I just stopped thinking about it, then it was, it was, uh, back to normal. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually took a, a few days off from actually doing anything. Yeah. 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 That's to the point good. where I should have done that. My, my mix room is so trashed right now. It's it just looks got, cool. I like all just, those shakers on your behind you. 
It's, well, it's well, that's the that's probably the cleanest part of the studio. You don't oh, you don't oh, see the okay. floor right okay. now. There were coffee you, cups and yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, that's all right from like days ago. And yeah, anyways, good sign. But I, 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 I love hearing that. That, that I love. I'm sorry that you went through a little identity crisis there, but I'm glad that you came out of it. But it teaches a valuable lesson, I would say, because there's so much of this po- of these types of programs, and there's a lot of YouTube stuff, obviously, mm. and a lot of you know, Pure Mix has has their mm. thing and mix with the masters, and right. It, it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to try to do it like this person. Right, right, right. Sure. And I think you're so wise and just sticking to your your own voice. Because, I mean, what I heard, I was like, wow, this is great, you know, mm. of, of the stuff that you played. So. Oh, thanks. I know. I had to, I had to kind of remember that. Like, I knew how to mix before I came here. So. Exactly. I remember that a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, it was interesting for me, like when I, when I played Chad, uh, this band Cordova that I was, I've been working mm. on, who's great you know, snare drum, uh, by the way, Matt, Matt a hard, great snare drum going on uh, in, in that mix. I don't know, man, I'm starting to get a little, a little, uh, weirded out because I, I submitted another mix to some, to some situation and that was their uh-huh. first comment. Great snare drum. I'm like, Oh but how's the mix? <laughs> well, I, no, the mix. I mean, look. I mean, <laughs> the snare drum is more important than the vocal. Okay, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm totally serious. It's one of the most important things I ever learned about mixing. It's the DNA uh, of the track. I mean, it's it's it it's the it's the heartbeat of the song, particularly because you're not gonna hear um, particularly because you're not gonna hear real bottom end on most speakers. And that's yeah. been and that's not a new thing, you know. That's that's not an iPhone dilemma. That's that's been around since the seventies, you know. In mm-hmm. a car in a car system, it's going to be mid bass, but the snare drum is going to have actual fundamental. So you know, hmm. it, it's pretty. So when I say good snare, I actually mean that it's actually a very high compliment coming ah. from me because because it because it's. It to me, I mean everything. The snare drum is the anchor of the entire mix. Everything is mixed in relation to the snare drum. If you th- really think about it, at least for me, I don't know. Maybe other people hear it about the kick drum. Oh, shit, or well, shit, but, man, I'm gonna take the compliment. So yeah, man, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I mean, gonna take it, it and was, run it was, with it. It was totally locked and had a good, good punch and yeah, well, and, cool. and but my my point in bringing that up was is that I knew that he does not mix heavy rock type stuff. And we talked, you know, we talked, uh, I talked with a few of the guys about, you know, the track that I brought that I was having mm. trouble mixing. Mm. I'll, t- I'll tell you an interesting story. And, and just to, I'll give the audience a brief overview is that we all got to open up pro tool sessions with Chad. I chose to open something that I'd had been having trouble mixing and, and I kind of felt, and Chad had a little trouble with it too. I think it it, it never really kind of arrived at where it, it where it could or should have been. And a lot of that has to do with the recording. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of a crisis when I was there, when I was feeling like I should have chosen a different song, something that would have been more up his alley. But I wasn't there. To, I it took talking to Eduardo and Rishi about it and have them say no it's good that you brought that track up because yeah, it was a challenge and it kicked every, it it kicked your ass and it obviously kicked Chad's ass to a degree yep yep and it showed us how he dealt with adversity and mixing yep but the funny thing was is i got home and i found a mix of that song that i did early on and i opened mm. it up and i was like wow this is actually a not too bad version of this yeah, mix. Why I didn't like I this. not find this? There's a lot of emotion, would you say, involved in going to something like Mix with the Masters? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's probably different for everybody, but I probably wouldn't spend the time and the money on going to one of those unless it was somebody that was important enough to me artistically, you know. But I mean, and emotion so, tied up in what you bring and what well, you present. That's, yeah, but yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I mean, though, is because it's because it's someone that probably means a lot to you artistically. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's to kind of be in the room with that person and, and, and cause, and you're being vulnerable cause you're going like, all right, here's this song. Like how do you know, what can I make better about it? <laughs> how do I do you this? But, but as you cool. said, you knew how to mix before you got there. I, th- I mean, I think so. There's yeah. people that might just, dis- I can think of a few artists that might disagree. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, before you went to mix with the masters, like, were there any things that you did beforehand from a habit perspective that changed after you got back? I can think of two things. The first thing is that I just, I'm just thinking less. 
Hmm. Once I broke through, once I broke through my little kind of, uh, wait, how do I do this? You know, once I broke through that kind of dilemma, when I got home, it's just, I'm not thinking, you know, I've, I've probably been thinking the least I've ever been thinking while mixing. And on my best days, that's always how it is. I'm I'm really not thinking. It's like it's 10 a.m. and I'm mixing, and then all of a sudden it's 9 p.m. You know, and mm-hmm. and hopefully I've I'm got the speakers turned up a little louder, and I'm kind of feeling good about it. You know, and hopefully you stop to go to the bathroom and possibly yeah, eat yeah. lunch in that I time. Do. My friend Ian has to set a timer for when he gets lunch because he just keeps working too much. And I'm I'm kind of similar where all of a sudden it's 4 p.m. and I'm like, man, I've got a headache, and I'm like. I feel terrible. I hate myself. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> you haven't eaten anything since 8 a.m. It's like, oh, okay. I'm yeah. going to do that. You know? uh, not only would I hate myself, I'd hate everybody. If I had Yeah, eaten. right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I hate this music. I hate myself. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And then you eat something, you're like, that sounds pretty good. Uh, did it cause you to set any new goals or make any new plans with your career or your studio space or your gear? I did actually set up the studio totally different when I got home. And there's a philosophical reason for that. So I do have a a console. It's an API box console. And then I have a lot of outboard that I've kind of collected throughout the years. And before I had the console, I was using a summing mixer and I had all of my outboard on, on, uh, on inserts, uh, pro tools inserts. So I could, you know, have compressors and effects and things inserted as a, uh, uh, DAAD loop, right? And then I would commit all those at once at the end of the mix. Great, cool. All printed. I wouldn't have to do recalls on it, all that sort of stuff. And when I got the desk, I actually had it set up more traditionally like a desk. And then I was doing stem passes at the end of the mix. So I, did, I worked that way for a, the, a couple of months. And I just, I hate it. I hate printing stems. It takes so long. Yeah, you, you know, even though it's taking an hour, you know, or whatever, I just, I couldn't, I, what I realized is I was wasting so much creative energy doing that and kind of you, there's a safety to it. Like you have to kind of print things a little safer than you might. You can't make edits in the certain ways or do mutes in the certain ways if you have to print stems because if a client goes, well, I don't know. I don't really like what you did in the second verse. It's too weird or something. Then you're, you know, you're fucked, right? Because you've printed a stem and you have to remix the verse then with the raw tracks or whatever it is, right? So I actually went back, I split my I split my studio up again. So the the first 16 converters feed the desk and then the next 16 converters are back on my 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 loops, on my insert loops. So now I feel way less fearless. I feel like I'm 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 back to like, oh, I want to do this to the bass on this. Cool. Just rah, you know, like <laughs> just go for it. And then I've already, I've always got a way to to adjust balances on individual sources rather than being stuck with like a, a stem mm-hmm. um, of a, a group of instruments, particularly with the drums, that sort of thing. I do. I like to do a lot of stuff with drums where it's just, you know, use one mic for the whatever and put it through the even tide or what, I don't know, whatever, whatever I'm doing. Right. Right. In your setup, you talked about the first 16 and the next 16. Yeah. Uh, do you have a Pro Tools HDX setup? No, it's just Pro Tools 12 standard. Okay. You can run 32 IO, I think, total. Okay. So I have two links, Aurora 16s. Oh, do you have uh, them attached to uh, PCIe cards? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's how I'm doing it. And actually, today I'm getting a Hilo. I'm really excited about it. Oh. Um, I've been recording the desk just back through a pair of the converters on the Aurora. And for a while now, I've really wanted to get a, a proper dedicated capture of the desk because mm-hmm. you know i always i flip back and forth between the program output and the two track return and i'm like they're pretty close but the de- you know the desk sounds better before the conversion so it's like one of those things where you're kind of like ah, i just got to capture if i can even get five percent more of what that tone is yeah i'll be i'll be happy yet you're so, going with the same the same company's uh converter. I know it's probably there's probably mm-hmm. some differences in the Hilo than versus the Aurora's, but yeah, the specs are quite different. I mean, if you go look at the the total harmonic and distortion and noise, the noise floor and the distortion level are, are a lot lower on the Hilo. I'd be surprised if it wasn't if it was unsubtle or what what's the word? If, it, be, if I'd, yeah, I, I have a feeling it will not be subtle the difference. 
we'll see how I like it. You know, converters are so personal, man. They're like, to me, they're just like, they're almost as important as monitors. Yeah. You I know, think they're where it's, in, the, in this day and age, they're critical. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly if I'm making that amount of passes, you know, if I'm going through a compressor and back in and then back out to the desk and then back in on the two track, I mean, I got to make sure my shit's pretty dialed. We're almost out of time and I want to share cool. uh, an, a, an equipment acquisition that I made uh, based on Ooh. your influence on me. Oh, really? Uh, which I'm very happy about. Wow. So, and this goes a little bit into the sound design thing we were talking about, which oh, is yeah. kind of a hobby for you. And I think it's a hobby for me as well. Yeah. Um, so for the audience, Brett has a, a, a Zoom H4n and... Uh, and it's what, horrible sounding. What he... T- <laughs> What he taught me was that you could get a coil tap microphone. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, man. And But here's the deal, dude. I got it for like $3. Yeah. And I, I tried your your guy online, that uh, uh-huh. the English guy with the uh, yeah. the contact mics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I after I got through reading his website, I was like, this is a pain in the ass. I'm going to go to somebody else's website. And I found this. <laughs> And it got delivered in a matter of like a couple days. Yeah. Here's the deal. So unless if I get off my ass and I actually put this up as video, you'll see it and I'll, and I'll put it up here. But a coil tap microphone is essentially, it's a telephone pickup with a suction cup. You've probably seen him. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've ever, if you're older and you've been to a radio shack or, you mm-hmm. know, you're of a certain age, they used to have them there. There's a coil in there that picks up electromagnetic activity. Is that that's right, Brett? Yeah, as far as I understand it, yeah. So I got it. I plugged it into my H4N Pro, and holy mm. crap, it's fun, right? It's I I turned my nine year old onto it too, so he was walking oh, around yeah. the house doing everything. That's, yeah. that's the reason to do it. It's like you don't want to deal with the kid for an hour. Just give him a coil <laughs> no, tap just microphone. give him a coil tap microphone and a Zoom recorder. Run around, put it on everything. Yeah, well, it was. I got some crazy sounds out of those big. TVs at the at La Fabrique. I have spent uh, an enormous amount of time capturing some sounds, which uh, <laughs> I'll I'll try to post to our our shared Dropbox, Brad. Oh, but, uh, cool, cool um, man. The, yeah, anyways, uh, if you've never heard it, you should. It's really cool. Uh, they're super cheap. They're under three dollars. Yeah, and uh, I'll put a link to one on in the show notes. But it's something cool that. Um, I think, you know, you and I, we experienced Chad putting in some uh, binaural recording stuff. Oh, or yeah. Some, yeah. You know, some, you know, location sound stuff in the context yep. of a mix and triggering it with a gate. Yep. And after I, after you played me what you were doing with this, I was like, I got to get one of those. Yeah, it's pretty. I, well, I heard it. I heard it from, um, I'm a big fan of the sound design on that game, that creative assembly game, uh, Alien Isolation. Mm. Uh those guys, man, I'd I'd give half my studio to work for those guys for a year. I mean, that was like that the sound design's incredible in that game. And I read an interview with uh, I forget which sound designer it was, but it was one of the the lead sound designers on the game. He was like, Yeah, I just got so many of the sounds were coil tap, you know, and then coil tap combined with modular synth stuff. And I was just like, Oh man, I gotta get a coil tap mic. So yeah, I've been I've been having fun with that. It hasn't made its way into any any of artists records yet but i'm sure it will because yeah I, i'm thinking that might to be what happens with my me. captures might have to make it in some current yep. <laughs> mixes they're gonna Do be it. like yeah the mix is great but what the hell is that electronic sound that- well hey i'll tell you i'll give you one more thing um for everybody too there's a plugin called morph and morph. it's a it's a fft i believe it's fft you know it's like a spectral mapper uh, i forget okay. who makes it. it starts with a z but anyways it's called morph m-o-r-p-h just take that and run it off an aux and send some field recordings into one side or some coil tap and send the lead vocal into the other one and see what happens. Wow. More. Okay. I'm going to try that more if I like yeah. that. It's weird. It's definitely a good way to get fired. So if there's a gig that you don't <laughs> like working on. If you're trying to have a good time on a, on a gig, you're really not having fun with. But you should, you know, you really, I mean, you know, you got to go for the throat because, you know. Because everybody else isn't. I mean, a lot of people aren't. You yeah. Know? So you got to go for the throat. I, I will say that is a thing that uh, I walked away from from Chad was. Oh yeah. You, you just gotta, you know, take yep. people to another place. Yep. And not go the for the safe of thing. It. He talked about the fantasy of the studio a lot, and I'd never heard anybody put it that way, and it resonated with me on such a fundamental level. 
that I was like, oh, okay. That's why I love this guy. That's why he, <laughs> you know, that's why it makes sense. That's why I'm here. You know, it's like, that's why he's an influence because of that sort of baseline philosophy. Like you're in it, you're in a fantasy world. Like why try to make it sound like what music sounds like in a room? That's boring. You know, I like that. It's like, like a recording is already an abstraction, just necessarily so. So why not take it to its maximum? You know, just get it, get it out, get it there, man. <laughs> well, so on that note, I know we've, I asked you this before, but people can check you out at brettbullion.com. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's two T's on Brett. Uh, that's correct. Yep. And B-R-E-T-T. bullion is B-U-L-L-I-O-N or, or one L? Uh, B-U-L-L-I-O-N. Like you got two T's, two T's and two L's. That's right. And that's brettbullion.com. Excessive letters for an unexcessive man. Well, and you've got, wow, there's, you know, we could do all kinds of, of uh, letter analyzation on you here. <laughs> there's two B's, there's two T's, there's two L's. As, yeah, there's a lot of alliteration. Yeah. yeah. I like to buy consonants in pairs. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, there is some alliteration going on there, isn't there? All right. Yeah, man. Yep. Well, cool, man. It's great to see you. Great to great, great to, t- to chat yeah, with man. you. So great. Really, I really appreciate you having me on. That's really cool. Thank you for obliging me and chatting Absolutely. with me. I know you're anytime. Uh, I know you're busy, so uh, I'm gonna let Today's you go. My day off. Oh, today's Let's your day off. Play Xbox today. Well, that's house. funny you say that. I'm gonna go and uh, hang out with my two kids. My wife awesome. is in India right now. So, oh wow, uh, cool. The kids and I are playing the new Battlefront 2 beta. There you go. So we're going to go rock the Xbox as well. Do it, man. Listen for some coil tap stuff. I guarantee you there will be some coil tap stuff on like the fake OSs. You know, if you interact with any kind of, you know, field radio, it's all coil tap. (laughs) Well, Well, thanks, Brett. Great to see you. Take care, man. Thanks so much, Matt. Talk to you soon. Brett Bullion here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Good guy. Really like Brett. Very deep thinker and uh, really passionate about audio. So good to have him on. That's it. We are out of time, of course. So uh, let's go ahead and thank everybody, including our good buddy, Mr. Cliff Truesdale, and of course, Chuck Smith and Cole Williams. And we want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, and Lawton Audio. And thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.